This is the Teacher Mindset Coach Podcast, episode number 39. Hey, teachers, welcome to the podcast where we do the hard work to uplevel ourselves and have fun along the way. I'm your host, Ashley Wolf, and I'm here to help you rock your world with mindset stories strategies, and skills that you've probably never been taught before. Let's do the damn thing. This is the burnout episode, y'all, with Dex Randall. Dex is the burnout coach for professionals, and he is going to be talking to us teachers today. Dex is also the host of his own podcast, Burnout to Leadership. He also offers his very own advanced coach certification in the area of burnout. If you happen to be a life coach wanting to deepen your own understanding of how to help your clients in this area. So welcome to the podcast, Dex. Thank you so much, Ashley. I've really been looking forward to speaking with you today. Yes. So can you tell us just a little bit about you, your backstory and why you like helping clients in burnout. Sure. But before I begin, I got to put this in. I was looking at a lot of um, your materials in this last week and the seriously funny life coach librarian. Oh, yeah. That was the best tagline ever. Anyhow, Thank you. Thank you. Anyhow, yeah, on to me. So um, my background's in software development. And I worked with a bunch of corporates doing software development and in leadership roles and all of that, which was all glorious, really suited who I was. I really loved it. But eventually I uh, kind of, um, I started to get into more and more stressful roles. And I think it's quite interesting that a lot of our roles have evolved to become what seems to be more stressful than they used to be way back. Mm -hmm. And that was certainly true for me. And I started getting into very some very stressful positions. And I was still pretty successful. I was always good at my job, um, but I was feeling more anxiety about it. Mm. And what happened for me is at the end, I had a company uh, shut down on me. So I had to leave because the owner was off pursuing different adventures. Um, And I started job hopping to some startup roles. And the startup roles were even more pressured. Mm. And... um, I could feel that my performance was unsatisfying to me. It was okay for my employers, but I felt like I wasn't giving it my best. Mm. And in these roles, I started to fight. I started to fight the system a bit. And I ended up not doing very well. And I was in one startup and they never launched a product. And the whole environment was just anxiety central for everybody. Yeah. Everybody was in fear for their jobs. We weren't really pushing the product out. It was horrible. And eventually that kind of folded in on itself. And I got another startup role where the same thing happened again. Yeah. Oh, man. Hmm. And I couldn't handle the pressure of being unable to deliver on my responsibilities. Right. And I crumbled. I crumbled. And I had the last job I was in. I was basically the CTO. I was in charge of delivering product and delivering product was my specialty. That's what I was so amazing at. Very, very good at delivering high quality projects on time and on budget. That was what I did. Anyway, this time the the founder was backpedaling. He kind of didn't want his baby to be out in public. Mm. 
So every time I tried to push the product forward, he tried to claw it back again. So I couldn't do my job. And not being able to do my job was, was the last straw for me. Right. Not being able to deliver, it just crippled me. I was, I'd never had failure. And, um, and I got more and more anxious, and I started dreading turning up at work every day and wondering what on earth I was going to be able to do that was useful, um, that could equip my responsibilities. And it just, he just stalled me and stalled me. And in the end, I, I was so stressed. Mm-hmm. I just had no idea what to do with myself. And I had no idea what to do about it. I didn't know anyone who could help me sort myself out. And I was turning up at work in the morning, hoping nobody was looking at me and looking at what I was doing because I was just fluffing around, really. Right. I was just pushing things around my plate. Eventually, it just comes into my mind. I went into a meeting with my boss. It was a Tuesday morning. And he again stalled me. I was again trying to push it forward. And he again stalled me. And I had this sudden realization that if I didn't do something urgent, Mm The stress was actually physically, it was going to kill me. Right. And I'd never had that sense before, but I thought, no, physically, my body, my system's breaking down now. Mm-hmm. I can't sustain this anymore. I can't hold this amount of stress anymore. And I said to him, okay, you're blocking me again. I'm out. Mm-hmm. And I left. Wow. I just said, well, I was on a kind of contract where I could walk. Mm-hmm. And I did walk. I just said, that's it. I'm not, actually, I wasn't even on a contract. I was just working. I said, I'm not coming back. And he's like, what? Yeah. What do you mean? What do you mean? I said, no, that's it. And I collected my stuff and I left the building. I never went back. Mm-hmm. But three, mm-hmm. uh, three weeks later, I was running on the beach, six o'clock in the morning, trying to kind of straighten myself out. And I had a massive heart attack. <gasps> and, oh, um, wow. and it was a really close call. I was in ICU for a few days. They weren't sure about me. And I kind of pulled through and they said, right. Lie on a sofa for three months. Use your heart as little as possible. You oh need my absolute gosh. rest. Whoa. Do not move for three months. It's like, what? Oh, my gosh. What a change. So that was the red flag going up right there. And I just mm-hmm. thought, okay, well, I'm never going back to that kind of work again because my system's had enough. I can't put myself through that. I'd had two startup roles, both of them had kind of gone the same way. And I just thought, that's not okay for me. I'm, that's not a fit for me. Yeah. I can't do it. And also I'd had in the degradation, I don't know what other people's experience is. Some people talk to me about this and some people don't is when the system is breaking down under chronic stress, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that stop working. I mean, your immune system stops working. Mm-hmm. Your sleep it's generally dysregulated. Your mood is dysregulated. Your digestion doesn't work mm. very well. Everything starts to collapse. Mm-hmm. And there's also a cognitive element of that. Your brain stops working like it used to. A lot of people talk about brain fog. Right. For me, it was brain fog on top of anxiety and stress, but it was also a diminishment of my ability to solve problems. My brain just mm. wouldn't solve problems like it did before. And when you work in software development, that's not okay. You solve problems for a living. Yeah. So I just thought, okay, that's game over. Mm-hmm. That's game over for me in that career. That was the breakdown. Right. That was the mess. And also about six months after my heart attack, when I was just starting to get back on my feet again, mm-hmm. I got hit by a car <gasps> and I was in hospital for another three months. 
Oh my gosh. Smashed or smashed up. And that recovery period from that, because I couldn't walk, my legs and hips and feet were smashed. Is like yeah. I couldn't walk. So that recovery period was again another, even the tough bit of it was about a year. Wow. So it was like, okay, the universe is trying to tell me something here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's see. I wonder what it is. <laughs> right. So that was kind of, I had the extreme experience. I got a very strong message and I changed my direction completely. I had to reinvent myself. Is there a clear message that came of all of this that you repeat to yourself to this day? It was the tap on the shoulder for sure. Mm-hmm. Like, Dex, you're doing the wrong thing and you're doing it in the wrong way. I had to detach my identity from being this high-performing leader and technician, engineer. I had Can to, you talk I had to more disinvest about that? from that identity because yes. I think so many of us, the people who end up in burnout are generally speaking what I would regard as type A personality, aggressive, hard-driving, very hard-working, normally very, very talented, skilled, experienced people, perfectionists. They always want to head for the top. Yes. The problem with that is, I mean, this is so amazing because those people develop incredibly powerful careers. They're, they're really useful people and they're very motivated to make everything a success mm-hmm. and to help the people around them as well, support the people around them as well. They're very motivated to help others. The only problem is when it hits a certain point of effort and Mm -hmm. energy expenditure, it goes over the top. Something happens, like it happened to me, and it goes over the top and it starts to go downhill Mm -hmm. because they'll keep throwing more effort at the problem. I can solve any problem. I can can definitely do it if I just try harder, if I just get up earlier in the morning, if I just do more, if I just push myself, I'll, I'll get through this. But that pushing yourself once you're in burnout and your system's caving in mm-hmm. actually drives you downhill, not uphill. And teachers, I want you to listen to this because he's talking to you. Yes, Dex comes from a software development background, but there are so many parallels that I'm already hearing is that we will throw ourselves and our effort and our, um, our spare time at the problem, thinking it'll go away. And maybe the problem isn't, you know, just burnout for everyone, but the problem is going to be kind of all leading back to this conversation of burnout. So one thing that teachers do, I know, and not all teachers do this, but um, they will work all weekend making lesson plans. And it goes back to the perfectionism instead of Um, you know, doing just enough to be able to say that you are prepared. And I really do think there's a difference, like doing just enough to be prepared, which in the coaching world, we call that B minus work. And then the perfection that a lot of teachers strive for sometimes because they know no other way and they are not given permission to pump out B minus work because it's not explicitly said by leadership. So a principal or an assistant principal, it's not even part of like the expectation. It's like perfection or nothing. Can you kind of speak to that? Yeah, I think it's such a good point that you raise because 
those of us who tend to burn out are all perfectionists. Mm. Mm-hmm. But I think the way we think about perfectionism is not how perfectionism actually works. Because all of us are really passionate about our work. We want to throw everything at it. We really want to give and give and contribute and perform. Mm -hmm. But also, we're already extremely highly skilled, well-trained, experienced people. We will, by our nature, we will always perform at a very high level as as much as we possibly can. We're not very good at compromising on quality. We're very incented to produce the maximum quality. Mm -hmm. But perfectionism can add nothing to that. If you eliminated perfectionism completely, your quality would go up, not down. Okay. The teachers aren't going to believe you. (laughs) I know they're not. And and this is something I have to teach all my clients about because nobody ever believes me. They think perfectionism is the thing that keeps them high performing and safe in their careers. Yes. It's a bragging right. Here's my view of perfectionism. Perfectionism is... Fear of judgment. (gasps) I don't want to put something out there that somebody else might have a low opinion or a negative opinion about Mm -hmm. and judge me for. It's got nothing to do with quality. Wow. I'm afraid I'm going to get kicked back on this. I'm going to keep throwing time and energy at it until I think it's completely perfect. But if I produce something to a team of 10 people, each of those 10 people will have a different view on the work that I produce, Mm -hmm. whether it's in teaching, medicine, law, doesn't matter. Yeah. Every, every one of them will have a different way of looking at and perceiving the work that I do. And they'll all have something different to say about it. I can't please all the people all the time. Right. It's impossible. Perfectionism doesn't work from that point of view. I can't protect myself from somebody judging me. Because however many people there are, they'll all judge me differently. I can't, I might be able to protect myself against one or two of them, not all of them. Right. But perfectionism doesn't provide the protection that it says it's going to give us. Right. And it has no other benefit. There's no other upside. Uh Because if you think of the 80-20 rule, the last amount of hours I spend on a task, a total Mm -hmm. wasted time, because they're not adding value Mm. or quality. Mm-hmm. They're just expending energy because I'm a bit scared somebody will judge me. Right. So yeah. if we cut it off at B minus, what we actually end up with is A plus plus work as far as people outside of us are concerned. Oh, okay. Yeah. Talk more about that because it does go well, back not, to like other yeah. people's thoughts about our work. We're not really capable of putting work out that's less than A plus plus. We're okay. high achievers. Yeah, right. We perceive it as not being good enough. Mm, mm-hmm. That's not the same as it not being perceived by other people as good enough. My boss, when I crashed out of my job because I couldn't fulfill my obligations in the role in this startup, I just thought, wow, I'm so super underperforming. It's just I can't face it. Yeah. I went back to see that guy about a year later. We had coffee together. And he said, wow. We were devastated to lose you. The whole company almost went under. You were the only thing holding it together. Oh, my. It's like, really? But I wasn't doing anything. He's like, oh, no, you were the backbone of the whole thing. You were the only one producing stuff. Huh. And I thought I was underperforming. And I think this is just exactly how perfectionism is. Uh Uh-huh. We think we're down at D minus. Everybody else thinks we're at A plus plus. Wow. 
And so what would you tell teachers? Because the people who teachers think about as judging them are in no particular order, their teammates that are on the same grade level as them, their principals, their bosses, the parents of the children that they're teaching, maybe the children themselves. And then also like, if I'm a third grade teacher, I could be in my mind thinking that the fourth grade teachers are going to judge me for the students that I send to them next year that I haven't done good enough. So it's almost like this cycle. There's different judgments. Yeah. For a teacher, it's going to be all these outside people that we could pick, take our pick any day of the week. So what would be a strategy or something you could offer teachers when they start thinking of all the people who could possibly judge them? Well, it's true. Any one of those people could judge them if they wanted to. Uh But I think there's a couple of things here. Number one, if we're spending all of our time trying to please all of the people, it isn't going to work for one thing, but it's expending a bunch of energy out of fear and scarcity and lack. Right. We're worried about our career. We're worried about our performance. It's the opposite of being in flow. Yeah. Being in flow is where we channel our best energy to produce our best result for the least amount of effort and the most amount of passion. We get to engage our passion then. Yeah. And so this perfectionizing is the opposite of that. We're trying to produce our best result from being scared and pressured and worried and tense. We're trying to really squeeze the toothpaste out of the tube, but it's already Mm -hmm. empty. When we approve of ourselves, Mm -hmm. when we have inner security, when we're following our own true north, our own value system, Mm -hmm. our own desire to serve, our passion, then things flow out of us naturally with less stress, less energy loss, and better results. Much more high-quality results come from flow. When we're doing this, we're trying to please all of the people. It's coming from our fear. So we can't produce the level of work we would like to. And yes, then consequently, people probably will judge us. And even if they don't, we'll think they are. But Very true. let's think about if people are judging us. The important question is why? Why do we think they're judging us? Why yeah. are they yeah. giving us this feedback that we're interpreting as negative? Well, it can only be if there's two motivations in life, love and fear, then they're in fear as well. Mm-hmm. We're in fear. They're in fear. And out of their fear, they want to protect their position. Mm-hmm. The fourth grade teacher is like, oh, no, what if I can't teach these people? What, what, what if yeah. these students are not up to scratch when they come to me and then I can't teach them and now I'm failing on my job? We're all worried about ourselves fundamentally. Mm-hmm. If somebody criticizes another person for not doing their job correctly, it's basically internal criticism projected outwards. I'm in fear. It's coming out of me like this. Right. Well, most people in society these days have a very high level of anxiety compared to, say, 10, 20 years ago, particularly. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to be wanting to criticize themselves at all times for their performance. And that's just projected onto the world all the time as well. So we don't actually have to take on other people's criticism. A bunch of it's imagined anyway, but even of the real stuff, it's just like, oh, look, that person is scared now. Mm -hmm. And they're giving me these words to express their fear. What if none of that was true? What if I know I'm doing a good job by my value system? It's inner security. We have no 
when we worry about criticism outside of ourselves, it's because we have no inner security. We're not mm. safe inside our own bodies. So the trick is, how can I become more safe inside myself? Right. How can I trust myself so much that other people's feedback to me is a little bit water off a duck's back? Yes. Other people being in fear doesn't need to affect me to this level. Right. And one of the biggest uh, stressors as a teacher is when it comes down to like the annual observation time um, all around the United States. And I'm sure all around the world, it's called different things, but it's like your annual review. Your boss comes in and observes maybe 45 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour long lesson and fills out the rubric. And I have talked to so many teachers who are petrified of having a check mark under the um, developing category instead of like the ultimate, which is distinguished in, in our state of Texas. And like, can you speak a little bit to, because I've tried to help teachers understand like, but if you believe in you as, as a teacher and you totally have confidence in that, then a check mark in a box on a piece of paper, really, literally, someone else's opinion is going to have nothing on you. But it's like this visceral fear whenever it comes time to being observed and what the results are going to be on that observation. What's the career consequence? Exactly. We don't, I don't think there is one. Like, I, I've, I mean, there's, you can be put on a growth plan as a teacher, um, but usually like that happens pretty early in the school year. And a lot of these observations happen towards the last like three months of the school year um, in the U.S. anyways. And so, yeah, I mean, if someone gets developing in two out of 10 categories, I really don't think that there is one. So interesting. A lot of the way that we view our job as mm. pressured or negative mm-hmm. are just our interpretation of what's happening and our fear attached onto that. Yes. I mean, developing could, in another worldview, be really good news. It's just like, yeah. oh, I'm really going to show them next time then. I'm going to develop in this area. I mm-hmm. own that. I own myself in that. I own my performance in that. Mm -hmm. I own my own. It comes back again to safety and security. Being me is enough. I'm enough of a teacher to kill this. Yeah. They don't think so, but I'm going to show them. Mm -hmm. It would be an opportunity to grow in those areas. Mm -hmm. If nobody's going to sack you for something, so what? Right. Especially now. I mean, teachers are leaving the profession yeah. in droves. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that teachers aren't fired these days, but um, the teachers who really want to be teachers are going to be offered a job year after year, probably, you know, no matter what. And I read your story about yourself, and I think it's amazing that you are demonstrating proof that you can enjoy working in this system again, that you can Mm -hmm. connect with the students again and be the person you want to be for those students and Mm -hmm. for yourself. That is still available in a system that 
it's possible to view as extremely challenging and pressured because so many professions are like this now. I talk to, I work with a lot of uh, physicians mm-hmm. and their system also has become extremely admin heavy and mm-hmm. less patient time, for example, a bit like, you know, the reason they got into it was to help people. Right. The reason people become teachers is to support students in their development and their growth, right? Yeah, yeah. And that is still available, but I, I think our perceptions are a little bit skewed and perhaps because it's not like it used to be, but I, I think we can regain that. I, I think agree. we can choose for our strength to come from inside rather than waiting for the system to be good to us, you know, you know good to us, inverted commas. Yeah. We can own it. And I think there's an enormous power in that. Mm-hmm. Being sufficient unto yourself, recognizing your own skills, your own efficacy, your own authority, mm-hmm. and your own connection is so powerful when you, re- when you reclaim that. Because a lot of us aren't really de- also encouraged to think about the emotional aspect of our work and the connection aspect of our work. Mm-hmm. But once you cut that off, then you cut yourself off from all the goodness of that connection. Yes. Yes. And I think we can reclaim that. And I think for teachers, one of the easiest ways to reclaim connection is with their students because kids are so easy to connect with most of the time. Yeah. Yes. And that's where the joy comes. Mm-hmm. But we can bring up the joy. I think we can, in any profession, in any role, even though the admin burden may be large, even mm-hmm. though we may not get as much time comparatively as a percentage with the people we want to work with, mm-hmm. the people we care about, it is, it is possible to rebuild that connection. It's possible to really own the way that you show up in that such that you can create joy in the people that you, you can promote it in the people you work with and in mm-hmm. yourself. Yeah. And I think that's our job to bring back the heart into the work. We have to do that ourselves. Nobody's going to come along and save us and do it for us. Is there it's some so possible with coaching to do that? Yes. And I was just about to ask, like, is there something that you, um, and I already know the answer to this, but is there something that you believe in so much that would help a person find all of what's inside them to help them in times of stress in times of burnout, it's almost like, you know, the studying work that we would have to do to be ready for the test. What would you say is, is one of the things that you believe in the most to help people? I'm curious what your answer is as well. The thing I teach people the most is they're being very, very hard on themselves in burnout, Mm -hmm. very Mm -hmm. Mm self-critical. That needs to change because that's the thing that causes an enormous amount of stress and anxiety And also it's very demotivating, Mm -hmm. de-energizing, it's exhausting. Mm -hmm. So what I really teach people is instead of overlooking and bypassing all of the fantastic things that you do contribute, notice them on purpose. Yeah. Really start owning all the goodness that's still coming out of you that you've taken for granted for all of these years because you're only focusing on the stuff that you think isn't working. Yeah. Well, let's instead... If, if the iceberg of your performance, the top 10% is stuff where you're not performing, 
And that's where you're beating yourself to a pulp. Let's look at the other 90 percent where you're still doing an amazing job, but taking it for granted. Right. Let's start to really appreciate and love and care for yourself in this, your willingness to be there for other people and support other people Mm -hmm. and the amount of energy you give to that, your passion, your calling, why you show up in this job in the first place, Mm -hmm. why you came into teaching. Mm -hmm is just reconnect with that and start really loving and caring and supporting yourself because you can't give your best positive energy to other people if you're not giving it to yourself first. Yeah. You fill your own cup with self-appreciation, self-care, self-love, all of this Mm self-approval. And as you fill your own cup, it automatically overflows onto the people around you. And I think it needs to start there. It's about really investing in the relationship with yourself so that you can be more at ease in your environment and then the goodness automatically starts flowing out of you a little bit more into other people and then you feel the joy and reward of that but the joy and reward you need to feel in the first place is being nice to yourself right let's turn down the inner critic is what I teach people very much and let's start to appreciate the insane amount of goodness that's already within what would your answer be um well you took my you took my answer which is what a lot of students say like you took my idea (laughs) um but a lot of the same idea right they'll they'll get a kick out of that but no I mean I there's so much right like coaching getting someone who is a a person who's not just going to um, commiserate with you. Like I call them the commiserating clubs where, you know, we just get together and confirm each other's gossip or confirm each other's, (laughs) um, you know, conspiracy theories, whatever it is. So like getting somebody who is almost like your accountability partner in a way, or someone who can help redirect when we go down a negative spiral about something or someone or ourselves and practicing like the art of saying like, now, wait, I don't want to do this. Like I've decided that I don't want to show up in this way. I'm going to stop myself here because it's like a spiral. And then of course, like your team is on the roller coaster with you. Um, And then you come home and you tell your family about it and all of this. So the art of like pausing yourself, interrupting, and then knowing that you want something better. And I think also like just mindfulness of what's happening in this very moment. And like you said, where we are so full of, of the work that we've done on the inside of ourselves, that we are so full that like in this moment, we can really be in deep appreciation of what's going on instead of always defaulting to finding what's wrong with it. And for, for teachers, it can be very easy to get in that mode of finding the fault when the stress is high. And with students, they're just trying to find the right answer. The older they get, the creativity kind of can go by the wayside, not for everybody, of course, but I think also 
for teachers in times of high stress, the creativity can, and the flow can be demoted to like, not as important because it's pedal to the metal time, you know, like we're getting ready for this test, but yeah, I think coaching of course is life-changing and you and I know that without a doubt, but I love what you said about really finding ways to, um, fill our own cups authentically where we are so confident in what we do and who we are as professionals. Mm. And and that's not actually the impossible task that it may sound like to some people. Mm -hmm. But when Mm -hmm. you think about teachers, okay, teachers are wonderful people. Yeah. (laughs) So it kills me that those people are are collapsed in burnout because that's Mm. so, in a way, it's, it's so far from who they really are. Right. But I think if we're tempted by stress, pressure, stress, anxiety-inducing environment, it's normal, okay? There's no blame on that. That's mm-hmm. how society is. It cultivates anxiety in us, and it's almost designed to do that, and our amygdala can only respond mm-hmm. and get stuck in an anxiety cycle. So for anybody who's experiencing the, that kind of outlook and experience, it's not, it's not your fault, mm. but it can be corrected. And when, we're, when we invest in believing in ourselves and supporting ourselves, it really is, I mean, it's a choice we can make, but also it, it gives us back our power. Yeah. Because when we're complaining or when we're focused on the negative, or when we're feeling like a victim of the system, we have absolutely no power. Yeah. But when we redirect our gaze towards our, our resources, our inner resources, we get that power back. We get a sense of control back. We start to feel like we're at the helm, that we can direct our own lives and our own careers and our own work. And that, sense, that returning sense of power is, I think, such an enormous ingredient to recovery from burnout. Yeah. So what would you tell teachers who are convinced that burnout comes from external sources? It comes from outside of them. And there is this belief, it's like a teacher cultural belief that burnout happens faster and faster every school year. And like, we just don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen faster every school year. If it happens faster every school year, it's because you have the same thoughts that you had last year, but more frequently and earlier. Your perception of the system being broken is more entrenched as the years go by. Mm. I couldn't fix it last year, and now I feel terrible. It's only even the start of the year. I already mm-hmm. feel terrible. It's because you're already having those thoughts about the system being unbeatable, that it's going to break you, that you can't survive it and all of that. Mm-hmm. it's really just we get into habits and this is I mean in me in my burnout I was absolutely crippled with anxiety and worry mm-hmm. and a sense of defeat and powerlessness mm-hmm. I was just telling myself a story all day about how I couldn't possibly win at work at life in my job mm-hmm. everything just looked completely hopeless And I think there's a little parallel here between an entrenched position of burnout and the aspect of depression, Mm. which is despairing, hopeless, helpless. Yeah. I think 
for me, there's a parallel between those experiences because burnout says you can never fix this. It's just going to get worse. And sure enough, it does get worse if we don't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. So I've got this friend, her name's Ashley Wolf. And I would, if you're a teacher, suggest you go and have a little chat with her because (laughs) staying in burnout is optional for everybody. I guarantee to my clients that they're going to feel a whole bunch better Mm-hmm. about everything in three to four weeks of working with me. I guarantee it. Yeah. There is nobody in burnout who can't be helped. Mm-hmm. Burnout is completely reversible. So even though it looks like total bleak despair, yeah. that's just a, it's an inaccurate perception. Burnout can be fixed. Right. And I think it needs to be fixed because I don't think that level of suffering is worth staying in. Right. No. And you're living proof that you kept getting a, you know, nudge from the universe and um, in your physical state. Yeah, that story is incredible. It was a pretty clear message to me. Mm -hmm. That was the stop sign. And if you see a stop sign ahead of you and if you think if you're looking, if you're in burnout as a teacher and you're looking at the whole rest of your life thinking I'm doomed, you are not doomed. Right. Coaching, compared to a lot of other things that I've done in my life, coaching is spectacularly effective and very quick. Mm-hmm. It's very quick to start working. Really, in burnout, we just got a little bit of a closed mind to what can happen for us. We think there's only one trajectory possible, and we're already on it, and we don't like it. Mm-hmm. The other trajectory is equally available. You just can't see it without a little bit of support. Yes, and that is amazing advice for teachers is that it's not forever. It's not permanent. It's not happening earlier and earlier every year. And what I like to tell teachers is it's not just going to fall from the sky without warning either. Um, Like first year teachers already know more about burnout from what they've heard from other teachers who have been at this for a while then they do the curriculum that they're going to be teaching the kids. It's almost like an urban legend, like the burnout's going to come. We don't want to, you know, we want to combat burnout, but we don't know how as teachers inherently, because we're just not taught like the rest of the world, you know, really isn't taught these types of skills. Yes. It's a shame, isn't it? Because I think if if people were actually taught the coaching skills that you and I know, Mm -hmm. so I use them in self-coaching, I use them in Mm self-preservation, self-buoyancy, as well as teaching my clients. If we were taught those skills in in school, then many of us would be able to avoid this lifetime of the prevalent anxiety that's so it's, I mean, anxiety itself as a social condition these days is, is, extremely widespread and it's quite difficult to avoid in modern culture and that is the seed that draws us all into burnout but it is so avoidable it's a shame and when I discovered it I was so excited because it's like oh really we can fix this stuff yeah and that is one thing that I think both Dex and I are here to say to all of you teachers is that Yes, help is here, but you can also help yourself right away by just believing that I think number one, you are worthy of 
having the time of your life as a teacher, having the time of your life in your chosen profession, like you are totally 100% worthy of that and capable. Yes. Mm, mm. It's not like, oh, the good days are gone. Oh, I remember when Mm. it used to be fun. No, I can create fun. I can create the joy of teaching that I know I have felt in the past. I'm going to create that again for myself. But sometimes we need to be given permission, like you're allowed to. It doesn't always have to be 100% stress fest. Yeah. And somebody else has to hold up that vision to us if we're unable to see it for ourselves as Mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. But we love teachers. Teachers are amazing humans. We We don't want teachers to 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 stay in burnout. I don't want anyone to stay in burnout. My clients are universally wonderful, wonderful people. Mm-hmm. They're amazingly powerful, giving, supportive, generous, altruistic people. And once they're restored to power, they can do a lot of good in the world. And teachers, more than anyone, can influence students in a different way once they come out of burnout. And mm-hmm. that's what we would all love for them, right? Right. And I think we can just be closer to our full potential as teachers with that connection to students when we love ourselves so much, have our own confidence, and we also have that confidence and love in our students. Because it's such an interesting idea that a burned out teacher is not going to really believe in their students as much as they probably could. Which is so well, it must be utterly heartbreaking not to be able to support those students in the way that you would love to. Right. But so many teachers don't realize it or see it this way Mm. yet. Mm. But I think that, you know, if we get word out and we spread our message, we have the potential of, of helping teachers understand that it can be totally different for the better. Oh, and this is where my clients come to. They hit a point in the progress um, out of burnout with me and they suddenly start to enjoy stuff again. They get mm-hmm. a sense of humor back. They start to see the potential of connecting with people through the love and care that they naturally want to share with people. Mm-hmm. And that really, so if to encapsulate it, I think coming out of burnout is championing yourself, mm-hmm. finding yourself marvelous and wonderful and potent. But when we champion ourselves, we get to champion others. And that's what we really want. Yeah. And that is so powerful because teachers inherently are the champions for their students. Absolutely. And physicians are the same. And, you know, a lot of the different professions actually are motivated the same way. Right. Humans are are herd animals, right? Mm -hmm. We live and die by our connection with other people. We We have a natural, almost Almost every person I've ever spoken to has a natural desire to help and support other people. Yeah. And I think that's wonderful. And I love to see that emerging people and all their passion starts to come to the surface. Yeah. Incredible, Dex. Wow. I'm so glad that we ended on that note because I know that the heart of teachers, just like the heart of people, a lot of times it just boils down to helping others, but we've got to help ourselves first. And uh, it can be that simple. How can teachers find you? If they're looking for you, how would they go about finding you? Well, thanks, Ashley. I'm really hoping they come and look for you since it's your specialist (laughs) area. But they can find me at dexrandall.com. 
Also, um, my Burnout to Leadership podcast has a lot of very practical tools and techniques to deal with all of the things we talked about today, all of the symptoms of burnout. Mm -hmm. It's a very uh, kind of self-coaching based podcast with, it's like an instruction manual for getting out of burnout all by itself. So that's a, a good place to start too. Oh, that's great. That's great because teachers are really good at making connections and making interconnections. But if, even if the topic, you know, happens to be a different prof profession, the lessons in there can always be applied right back to us if we're listening carefully enough. I think so. I mean, I, I wrote the Burnout to Leadership podcast episodes so that they would work for anybody in burnout. Great. And all of the core curriculum, if you like, in there applies to teachers as much as everybody else. That's awesome. Well, any last words of wisdom that you would want teachers to know before they start school here in the U.S. anyways in just three short weeks? <laughs> so in the next three weeks, what I recommend is you book an appointment with Ashley. <laughs> Get a little bit of hope on your horizon. Please don't sit in suffering. Right. Please do something. Come and get coaching because it is so, so quickly effective. We don't want that you to is. suffer. Yeah, we do not. We do not. Well, thank you so much, Dex. This has been wonderfully fun and we will see you next time. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed it uh, immensely. Been great to talk with you. If you got something out of today's show, I invite you to subscribe so you never miss a future episode. I'd also love to see you in the Teacher Mindset Coach Facebook group so we can nerd out on mindset work as a community of badass teachers. And remember, you can always email me at coachwithwolf, W-O-L-F-E, at gmail.com. Now go be awesome. See you next time.